0: Good afternoon, everyone. So good to see you. Welcome to the JB Font channel. My name is James Fontleroy, always. And today is Tuesday, January 31st, 2023. Welcome to all that is watching live right now. The JB Font channel is available on all major podcast platforms like Anchor, Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, so you can subscribe to me there. I'm also part of the Revolutionary Blackout Network, so you can catch me on the JB Show on Sundays at 1, on RBN Live on Tuesdays at 4, and the Sabi and JB Show on Thursdays at 6. Also, thank you so much to all the patrons on Patreon, coffee as well as members. Without you guys, I would not have a channel. So from the top and bottom of my heart, I thank you so much very much. Also, if you're new, please make sure to give me a like. to uh, Let me know that you like what you're watching. As well as if you would like to get notifications, go to my Substack, substack substack.com forward slash Substack.com. So you guys can go to my Substack and get email notifications there. Now, today I have special guests. With me today it is the gentleman of due dissidence, Russell W. R. and Keaton Weiss is joining me today, and I'm just wondering if I pronounced their names correctly. If not, then I am canceled. All
1: right, you, got <laughs> right. you got my name right. Got my name right. We do not support cancellation. uh, <laughs> uh Dobular, Dobular,
0: Dobular. Okay. I made the
1: same
2: mistake too. I knew Russell for a couple years. Before I had to say his name, because we only knew each other through Facebook, through writing. So I knew how to spell his name, but I didn't know how to say it. So actually, the first time I talked to Russell was I interviewed him for the show. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I introduced him as Russell Dobular also. Because, I mean, uh. Russell, that is how it sounds.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, no, he said Dobular, which some people say. Well, I thought uh. he said Dobular.
2: you as you Dobular.
1: I say w- I mean Dabular. Like, yeah, I could, I, I could see that, but some people yeah. say Dobular. Um, it's, my, it's my curse. Everyone misspells my name because that's actually not my legal name. That's hey, at least my, you guys have my mother, normal. That's my first mother's names. maiden name,
2: James and Russell. My, mm-hmm. my first name is, is it, it is torture to like order a pizza. You know, hey, can I get a large pizza? Sure. Can we get a name? Keaton. What? Can you say that again? Keaton. Keith? No. Really? Keaton. How do you yeah, mm-hmm. no? People yeah, really? don't, they don't hear it right. They don't know how to spell it. It's torture. It takes me five minutes to introduce myself to a person.
1: Well, because they almost definitely made up that name at Ellis Island, because nobody who's not related to me has that last yeah, name. Yeah, tabula, right. Yeah. Uh nobody hears that off the rip because they've never heard it before. Right. Wow.
0: Very interesting. Well, as you guys can see,
1: my last name
0: here uh yeah a lot of people just do not know how to spell it or know how to pronounce it actually so it's it's pretty tough and so uh it's been the bane of my existence yeah my last name has been the bane of my existence since i was five years old right so yeah (laughs) they
1: call you a little they call you little lord you get that oh god don't get me started yeah. <laughs> uh, they're like, hey, you ever heard of Little Lord Fauntleroy? I'm like, Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a tough one.
0: Yeah. Oh, by the way, before we begin, here is an interesting little factoid to know. Did you know that Donald Duck's middle name is Fauntleroy?
1: No, I didn't know that. i I didn't know. That. No. <laughs> I didn't know he had a middle name.
0: Yes, he actually has a middle name and his middle name is uh, his middle name is my last name. So just to let you guys know, yeah, just to give you guys a bit of a. A bit of a a little trivia there as well. So uh, one of the reasons why I had you guys on and I talked about this before we started was I wanted you guys to be a a good example of people speaking out against the duopoly against capitalism, against the imperialist uh, policies that the United States has. And you both are on the left. Of course, we're not gonna have agreements on everything, but we do have a lot of overlapping beliefs. But that being said, my question is, is how did do dissidents start? Where did you both get your, how did your political and social your sociopolitical evolution, how did it end up in this place that we're seeing right now? And I would like to start off with Russell.
1: Um, I was a pretty doctrinaire Democrat. I, you know, go, going back to the neighborhood that I came out of, mm-hmm. um, back then, there were no Republicans. You couldn't find Republicans in the neighborhood really? I grew up in. Uh, well, not yeah. back then, not back then. These are the same people who would eventually wind up being brought into the Republican Party. They would wind up becoming Reagan, Democrats, and then eventually Fox News Republicans. But when I was a kid, there was still the ghost of the Democrats and and a reality of the Democrats as the party of working people, of unions. Mm -hmm. You know, the Republicans were for the rich people. Those were for, you know, people. I lived in a working class neighborhood. Everyone. Everyone was a Democrat, but an FDR, New Deal kind of a Democrat. Um, Today, you can't find a Democrat where I came from. That that was actually, I was calling the election 50-50 for Donald Trump on the day of the election in 2016. And it wasn't any uh, particular psychic powers or crystal balls. It was talking to people back in my old neighborhood. And Mm. some of them were going to vote for Trump. Some of them would have voted for Sanders if he had been the candidate. Not Some of them just weren't going to vote given the choice between Trump and Hillary. I did not speak to one person back home who was willing to vote for Hillary Clinton. And that told me, you know, working class people in the middle of Iowa, their sensibility is not that much different from working class people in the middle of Queens. That told me there is a, very good chance that Trump's theory of the case, that there is this huge hidden Trump vote that's not showing up in the polls is probably accurate. So there was that. Then I went, you know, to college. I got out of the old neighborhood. I absorbed a lot of the kind of you know New York Times Democrat sensibility. And and all of that Damn is it. predicated on the premise that no, no, no. The Democrats would turn this into a socialist paradise you know, if if it wasn't for the Republicans, it's the it's this Tom and Jerry game. They play with you with your head where they just constantly have you focused on the Republicans as the enemy. And that's the only reason the Democrats would give you they are they are desperate to give you universal health care. But, oh, those <laughs> bastardly Republicans just not <laughs> let it happen. Ah, so you have to donate more and vote harder for Democrats. And I absorbed all of that. For a lot of people, uh, Jimmy Dore tells this same story, and we're around the same age. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people who came up like that, the 2016 primaries were a real red pill experience where – when you saw how they treated a candidate who really represented those things that they said they believed in, and you saw not only the lengths the party would go to, but that the media would go yes. to, it it, it made gotcha. you realize everything you ever believed about politics was a lie. And uh, mm. like politics kind of proceeded from there. Gotcha. Keaton, what about yourself?
2: Uh yeah, I mean it's it's a quite similar story. I will say, at risk of insulting my co-host, I am a bit younger than him. Um, but it's a, a similar years. story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> my politics never really changed. Um, I was always for single payer health care as soon as I understood that we didn't have single payer health care. Like, I mean, m- my views. <clears throat> From the time I was 12 to right now with perhaps one or two exceptions that are so few that I can't even name them off the top of my head. If you had a list of issues there and read down, I might say, oh, yeah, on that I've changed a bit. But I can't even think of anything off the top of my head on anything that I've really changed on. Um, Mm -hmm. So it wasn't so much that my it wasn't so much that the politics themselves changed. It was my understanding of the political system changed in 2016 Mm -hmm. for exactly the reasons that russ just laid out the hostility to the possibility that a president who was actually promising to deliver universal health care not just the obama line where yeah if we were starting from scratch sure but now we have to work with it no a guy who actually came out and said this is what we're going to do the hostility to that possibility gave me the impression pretty quickly That, oh, so you guys never actually wanted to do this. You said you would like to do this precisely for the purpose of stringing people like me along year after year, vote after vote. Mm -hmm. So, in terms of issues, uh, I don't think I've ever been radicalized. Uh, You know, I've always been very left wing in that sense, right? It never made sense to me Mm -hmm. that people should have to pay money for medicine. That never made sense Mm -hmm. to me. And it doesn't make sense to me now. Um, so it wasn't so much my views on the issues changed. It was my understanding of how systems operate. Uh, they changed pretty radically, pretty quickly, all at once in 2016, as yeah. as Russ said. Mm.
1: Okay. And, but Thank but you if, you, if, you, if you talk to those Upper West Side mummies and you ask them that question, well, do you mm. believe in universal health care? Well, they'll, they'll say yes. They'll say yes. They they most of them are still in that trap. You know they they don't really care about it, but they don't consciously not believe in it either. They're in the. It's the Republicans. It's all the Republicans. If it wasn't for the Republicans, we'd be Norway. That that is the whole premise of the Democratic Party. Well, Russell
0: let me ask you this do you think they believe in it or do you think they believe in the idea
1: of it they they, be- they believe in the idea of it but they don't need it so they don't really care about it i think they like to wear that virtue they they don't feel com- most <laughs> of them most of them do not feel comfortable being the kind of people who think you should die in the street if you can't pay for healthcare They're not comfortable seeing themselves that way, but they are those people because you also saw during 2016 when push came to shove, they would parrot whatever the Democrats told them they're supposed to believe on every subject on wages, on healthcare. I've had these supposed, you know, left liberals literally tell me, well, listen, I don't know about all this talk about big pharma because I'm alive because of big pharma. You know, never <laughs> occurring to them that you could develop drugs without <laughs> big pharma. There's that idea. Like I've literally had these people come to me with arguments like that. So they yeah. they they believe it, but their belief is not an inch deep, right? I mean, any 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 signals from the establishment or any challenge to the establishment to really try to live up to that ideal, as we saw in 2016. And those voters can be steered in any direction that the establishment needs them to go in to counter the threat of actually accomplishing that. You know, the wh- easiest thing to do, and it's what they did yeah. with Sanders. Well, that's just fairy dust. It's just fairy dust. It's just, that's that's pie in the sky, you know, which which allows them to avoid trying to actually do it without really disowning it openly.
0: But it, it sounds almost like an anti-intellectualism hidden in this elitist intellectual intellectualism, right? Like, for instance, Keaton, I don't know if I'm making sense when I'm actually saying this, but it's like whenever we talk about actually going against or bucking the narrative of what the Democratic Party actually stands for and showing that really they are just as ineffectual and as just as beholden to the oligarchs in this country, then they look at us and they go, but that's not true because we actually want these things. And then when you try to tell them from an intellectual standpoint, because here's the funny thing, they pride themselves on being, I'm the intellectual ones. These ones are just Mm -hmm. deplorables. They're brutes. They're, They're... uh, what's, what's it called? They're the Bama's and, and the country bumpkins from out there. It's like they're the Zsa, Zsa of the political system when you really, they are de- deplorable themselves. And the thing is that a lot of times they don't really get that. But then once we start to go from a truly intellectual level and say, why don't we have universal health care? And why is it that we have policing the way we do in this country? Or why is it that we're funding a genocide, you know, in places like Yemen? Is it because their leaders are corrupt? Or could the corruption really just be projection? Keaton, if you want to jump in on that. One.
2: Yeah, no, I mean I think that all makes total sense. Well, I think what you're talking about really is the difference between political science and political theory, right? So Mm -hmm. political science is the sort of water in which these new york times reading liberals swim which says that the barriers in terms of conversation the barriers in terms of where legislation can go and where it can't those are constant those are fixed in this present moment and we have no Mm -hmm. choice but to operate inside them and what political theory is is what you're talking about well Mm -hmm. Why are those barriers where they are and how can we move them? These liberals do not have the bandwidth for that conversation. They are anti-intellectual. You're absolutely right. I've said, and some people, this rubs them the wrong way. These people are going to catch myself because you told us to avoid four-letter words as much as we can. (laughs) But here's one that won't get you censored. They're dumb. That's a four-letter word that we're allowed to say. I read the guidelines. That's not on the list. These people are dumb. because they are not will they're dumb and they are cowardly because they are not willing to engage in a conversation about moving those barriers, right? Why is our police system the way it is? It's one thing to say that the cops who tossed Tyree Nichols around and beat him to death. It's one thing to say that those cops were terrible. Yes. All these liberals will agree that those cops are terrible. But when you start talking about moving the barriers of the conversation to the point where why do units like that exist and should they exist or should they be abolished or defunded? Well, no, you know, we know exactly what their answer to that would be. Well, we can't do that because then the Republican, you know, and so, right, that barrier is a constant to them because they they think in terms of present moment political science they have no sense of abstraction they, they have no political imagination whatsoever and that's the that's the big problem when it comes to that question
1: yeah well, well, also, oh, also remember the, the the people who dominate that conversation within that party are themselves mm-hmm. the elites that whose property the police are protecting so when, whenever they start to chip away at the police they don't want that. They don't mm-hmm. want that. you want to see them flip. How do you, how do you think Giuliani got elected in a city where Democrats outnumber Republicans 4 to 1? Wasn't Republicans who made Giuliani the mayor for two terms? It was Democrats. Mm-hmm. Right. He exactly. promised to get yeah. the, get rid of the squeegee men. They that sounded good. Good enough to them. Look, three out of the
2: last four New York City mayors have been Republicans. Eric Adams, issue by issue, is a Republican. I mean, you you know, as much as the distinctions between Democrats and Republicans have become less and less meaningful over the past few decades, even to the extent that there are differences, Adams is, functionally speaking, a Republican mayor. The only Democrat that these compassionate, lovely New Yorkers voted for in the last, what, 28 years was – De Blasio, and he was elected in Obama's second term when the Democrats were on autopilot, so it was all good, right? They went from Giuliani to Mike Bloomberg, a brief respite where they were just in Obama heaven. So yeah, we'll pull the lever for Bill De Blasio, and then they went right back to perhaps the worst of them all, Eric. A cop. Yeah. A, cop, yeah, a cop himself, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know this. This kind of goes to, and, and I wanted to also ask this question. This same sort of the, it's almost like a pseudo-intellectual type of liberal where they are institutionalists from what it it appears. It seems to have seeped into the left space, particularly the left in the media space. Um, You both spoke Recently, about the comments made by Crystal Ball, where she was, it was kind of under the radar, but she was speaking about channels like RBN, basically saying you guys need to, quote unquote, grow up. And I, I sent out a tweet recently, and I didn't tag her because I don't want it to be a back and forth, mm-hmm. but I made the analogy. That if somebody like myself, now, I'm disabled. I'm very, very extremely close to the poverty line. I live on disability. My mother is living on Social Security retirement. And we cannot afford our rent. We actually had to raise money in order for me to be able to afford my rent through RBN, which I'm very grateful for. But for someone to say, you guys just need to grow up yeah that's like being in a burning building and then the fire department comes and instead of bringing out the huge fire hose to put the fire out they bring out some squirt guns and they pew, pew pew at the fire and we're screaming at them to get a bigger hose to get the fire out get a helicopter to dump water on it something and then the people there who are assisting the fire department says why are you guys screaming like that? Just grow up. And I liken that to the lack of urgency, particularly because of the socioeconomic statuses of many people who I like to call to be on the legacy left. Because of their socioeconomic status, they do not see or feel the heat of the burning building that we are in. And so because we actively ask for the change, on a more drastic level, to them that is too much too fast when for us, it is not enough and too slow, right? So that's the thing. And I love how you guys were basically picking apart her arguments, basically saying that she just doesn't get it. And to wave your finger at especially black leftists who are largely poor yep. and working class really speaks to the elitism. And by the way, I have to say this respectfully to Crystal Ball. What she said was um, it, it, it reminded me of what Miriam Williamson said, and mm-hmm. it was, you know, it was it was almost as if, uh, it was almost as if looking down. I I, f- I forget the word to use, but. It was condescending. It was condescending to me for what she said. Uh, Russell, what are your thoughts?
1: This comes up a lot. I mean, going back to my own political journey. Um, okay, so you have people when they go to college, right? Um, that is dominated really by a liberal sensibility, right? Because most of the people who go to college are not poor. Most of them are not. I was, but most of them are mm-hmm. not. Most of them are at, at least middle-class. I went completely on financial aid, but most of the people there, they're at mm-hmm. least from the middle-class and mm-hmm. the middle-class, this is, this is long observed. Um, you know, they, they ate the style and manner of elites because they want to mm-hmm. be them. They want to be them. And not only do they want to be them, they they see themselves as elites. Yeah. You know they, they so they ape their styles, their clothing, their interior design, their homes. Will, you know they'll they'll have the Monet painting? Like they give a crap about Monet. They'll have the Monet print <laughs> on the wall. You know all that all that oh, signaling yeah. that they yeah. are themselves elite, and that's yeah. why they read the Times. That's why they absorb all. Of and it's the reason that their politics are so shallow, because mm-hmm. really, this is a, this is a po- politics where elite members of society signal their virtue. And a bunch of middle class wannabe elites who are a much larger group echo and parrot and police and gatekeep on behalf of their masters. And if you look at their politics, if you've ever been poor, very simple question, I sometimes will ask people like this. Mm -hmm. Have you ever looked in an empty refrigerator and not known how you were going to put food in it? Because I find that if you have had that experience, you're going to have one kind of politics. And if you haven't, you're going to be ignorant and naive of reality in a way that almost I don't want to say it can't be corrected, but it's very difficult for somebody who doesn't know what that's like to understand politics as urgent for these people. It's a parlor game. It's not, especially for somebody like crystal ball. She comes from a very privileged, wealthy home. And, um, she, she doesn't know the first thing about why people cannot afford to invest their time and their money as Nick was pointing out to Marianne Williamson in some Topanga Canyon hippies vanity campaign. And, and we, we, in part of our analysis, we didn't, we didn't drop the whole thing, but part of it, we talked about at the end where it got hot. My sense of why it got so hot was as soon as she said, mansplaining, the whole conversation turned. We're talking about Marianne now, the whole conversation turned because I felt watching it that they all heard it the way I would hear that. They heard it as an assertion of class. They heard it as the person falling back on the techniques that people of that class use to put you in your place, right? Um, That was why I thought as somebody who grew up poor, I said that when we talked about it, I was like, it would have hit me the same way. It would have been like, yeah, I get why that changed the whole tone when she said like, like, not that y'all were happy with her, but that's when it really got hostile. And I get it. I get it because, you know, I mean, and with them, there's another layer of race that obviously I'm not dealing with, but just, just the class element of it. Yeah. It Mm -hmm. triggered me. (laughs) When she said that somebody like Marianne can talk all this stuff, but she does not deal with working class people. She does not know working class people. And insofar as she deals with diverse people, they're diverse people who are of her class or in the neighborhood of her class.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to ask for Keaton, is this dangerous? And if so, And and the reason why I'm asking that question is because people like Marianne Williamson and crystal ball and Sam Cedar, And a lot of these people, they have very large audiences. Mm. Is this dangerous, especially for the left or is it not? And why?
2: That's a good question. Um, is it dangerous for the left? I think broadly speaking, a big danger for the left is that we're too online. I think a big danger of the left is that yeah. we overestimate the influence of all of these people, including ourselves. But that's sort of a broader point, right? When it comes mm-hmm. to people who are tuned into this stuff, right, people who eat, live, and breathe this kind of content, which we thank you all very much because you're here for us and we wouldn't be able to do what we do without you. Yeah um yeah there there is a danger in it because um demoralization and despair are two major obstacles in the way of any sort of revolutionary movement taking off and this is where the class element comes in because crystal ball was trying to while yes talking down to rbn through jordan Sheridan in that interview that we covered last night Mm -hmm. um She was trying to sort of stay above the fray by saying, hey, listen, if you got a candidate you want to run, go do it, but don't tear us down. In other words, let a thousand flowers bloom, right? Why do we have to go after each other? And the reason why we do have to attack the idea of Marianne Williams in 2024 speaks to precisely what Nick said in his interview, which is why we thought that was so worth commenting on. We can't let a thousand flowers bloom. You're talking about working class people with limited time and limited resources and limited money to invest in different campaigns and different movements. It's zero sum for us. We have to pick and choose. We can't write a check to Marianne for $50 and Shama Sawant for $50 and Planned Parenthood $50. We can't just, yeah, okay, make it rain all over the place because we're all just such wonderful people doing such great things. Let's support everybody. Crystal Ball can afford to do that. Jordan Sheridan is probably, you know, not as wealthy as her, but he could write a few more
1: checks than we can. He's doing all right. I saw I saw a clip of him talking about how when he made the transition, he's making he lost 50, 50 grand a year. Yeah. He lost 50 grand a year. Me and Keaton are sitting here like, Man, we'd be happy to be making that between the two of us. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm so thinking so to myself, to I'm like
1: fifty grand. I'm like, man, if I made fifty grand, I'd be like, I'm in the yeah. No, he's hey, talking. Hey, about, hey, he's talking go. about that as the pay cut, as the loss, as, that he took. as the he took that loss,
2: right? <laughs> and <laughs> so, right. so, no, so, 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 so that is why you have to be critical of these candidates and these movements who are just a giant time suck and this is the part of it that transcends any criticisms that you may have of marianne even if marianne were wonderful even if she didn't give the bs answer cbs how do you like that i never say that but i'm you. doing it that that that's that's I'm proud for, of you, you my friend yeah that's not easy for me <laughs> The bs answer on israel-palestine the ducking of the question on russia ukraine the ducking of the question on the dirty break she did not even commit to a dirty break as the vanguard guys said she did right forgetting all of the merits or lack thereof of marianne williamson as a candidate the idea that marianne williamson is going to get anywhere near joe biden in a democratic primary is ludicrous And this is what's especially offensive about that crystal ball interview. What you are advocating for is a complete and total waste of time. And anybody with two brain cells to rub together can tell that Marianne Williamson is not getting anywhere near the nomination. It is ludicrous. It is ridiculous. What are you even talking about? It would be one thing to tell us to grow up and to condescend to us if you had a real plan to actually take the nomination from Joe Biden. You don't. You have Oprah Winfrey's spiritual advisor who was laughed off the stage when she ran the first time. She's not even registering in these early primary polls. We're supposed to be respectful and encouraging of that? Are you out of your minds? It's insane. It is beyond idiotic. And so to take that condescending tone while pitching to us this utter fantasy of what you think is going to happen in the 2024 primary I mean it is beyond beyond stupid sorry I'm fishing for words because I'm trying not to curse and get you in trouble <laughs> <laughs> you're making you're not making this easy on me but it is beyond stupid
0: you know I kind of look at it like um like a boxing match stay with me here if I am trying if I'm if we're Far into the match let's say we're on round eight round nine and i'm exhausted and i'm i'm you know try i'm trying to dodge the hits as much as i possibly can if i start going like this i'm going to expend all this energy extremely fast wear myself out and then that killing blow is going to hit me right here and right here and i'm out one two three four five six seven eight nine ten Done, right? Versus being strategic and using those jabs to hit at strategic points where you can and conserve your energy so that when the iron is hot and you get the right time, boom, boom, and you're done. Well that's a good point. I mean that, that's up. that's a great
2: point. And and I you know, I tried to touch on that, although you actually put it very, very well. Um, but I tried to touch on that in the previous few segments that we've done regarding this whole matter, the whole RBN, Marianne, Vanguard stuff, right? Like take mm-hmm. someone like Shama Sawant. right? She's not gonna be president, right? Of course. I mean, she can't, she's not of born course. here, but whatever. She wouldn't be president anyway, right? Um, let's mm-hmm. say this worker strike back forms some sort of political party down the road are they going to take off and be a national party if we're being honest the odds are no they're not right but what they're going to do is what you just spoke to they're going to throw they're going to land punches along the way they're going to put wins on the board along the way even if shamasu wants political party that she hopes to form out of this workers movement even if that putters out you know what that will have puttered out after they passed wage increases in all the cities that they're operating in, after they passed corporate taxes, after they passed renters' rights, things. They're going to put wins on the board for people along the way. They're going to make people's lives better along the way. There are people in Seattle with roofs over their head who but for her would not have roofs over their head. So even if the Hail Mary pass, right, the presidential run, whatever, even if that never gets caught, you have put wins on the board along the way. You have improved people's lives along the way. What good to anyone is a failed Democratic primary? What wins are you gonna rack up running Marianne no, Williams? Keaton, we're She's gonna to to put the ideas She's on She's gonna hand stage. her support to Joe Biden. They're not gonna get anything through, right? We've already how do I know this? We've learned it twice already. We've learned it yeah. twice already. And so Russell, that's the I'm big sorry, difference. That's the big difference. But your uh, boxing yeah. metaphor, I thought, was was absolutely right on. Keaton, you
1: just don't get it. We're paying to put ideas on the stage. Well, right, that's what I mean. Ideas now, we're on the pay- stage. We're that's paying, the big That's win. what we're right. paying for to put the ideas on. The stage.
0: <laughs> you See, know, it, it... Sorry, go ahead.
1: When I watched the uh, when I watched the crystal thing, I said, "Okay, if she were making the argument, I would completely respect this." And actually, this is pretty much what I believe. If you want to make the argument. You can't walk away from the electoral process, focus on the local level where you can really have an impact. That is the story of the Reagan revolution. The Goldwater campaign was this absolute catastrophe for the right wing, and they got together building local power and gradually building a bench. It took them 16 years but our politics has been defined ever since by that presidency. We never stopped living in the Reagan era. That is how successful their effort was. Now, if you want to make the argument, that's what we need to do, and it involves electoral politics, that's fair. I, I, I agree with that. I don't think that's the only part of this. Mm-hmm. I think you need to organize yeah. unions. You need to rebuild labor power. But okay, yeah, that's a fair that's not what she's arguing. She's arguing for the vanity campaign of a rich hippie. That is yeah. that is that is not a a that is not more realistic than what she's dismissing. Okay. So just so that
0: people have an awareness of what exactly we're talking about, I'm going to show this. I'm sorry, guys. I I know this is gonna be painful. For many, but and I also have a very interesting question to ask you after the end, because this is a question that a lot of people have not asked yet. But it's going to be quite ironic to ask this question. But let's give people a chance to hear exactly what was said so
3: that they have context. But uh, what do you say to people who are critical of Marianne or anyone that's going to run again uh, within the Democratic Party? I think you put it perfectly, Jordan. How did Bernie Sanders do? How close did he get to the White House? how close to the Green Party get to the White House? It's simple. I mean, we don't have to like, I don't know if people have noticed there's a lot of crises going on in the world. There's a far right movement basically trying to end democracy in our country. You know, where people are suffering every single day. We've got a climate crisis that's unfolding. I mean, continued insane instances of police brutality that just make you want to weep and scream and your stomach churn. And they want to like wait around for some theoretical revolution. I'm sorry, grow up, get serious. This is a actual path to having an impact on the issues that you claim to care about. Now, if you've got another candidate, you got another strategy, please, I'm all ears. But the reality of the American political system today is we have a first-past-the-post voting system that makes it virtually impossible for third-party candidates to compete. Do I wish we had ranked choice voting? Yes, we should push for that. Do I wish that we had a different political? Of course I do. That's not reality. So we can either grow up and get serious about actually wanting to have power in order to impact the issues and the people that we want to have an impact on, or we can sit around and talk to each other and make videos, you know, trashing people who agree with us on 95% of the issues and pretend like they're horrible people. We can do this like internecine circle jerk forever, or we can actually get serious and have a plan and try to do something. Oh, I thought I was the only one that calls it a circle jerk. Uh, <laughs> I'm that sorry, Jordan. <laughs> Just to handle, to handle bullshit on the left. Uh, That's, on- it. That's it. And you know, I've like been nice about it for a long time, but at some point I'm like, look. Let's grow up and be real about the political system that we operate in and not have some like, you know, imaginary theoretical revolution that's gonna happen at some point in the distance. Do we not have time for that shit? Like, stop tearing down people who are actually trying to do something. If you've got a different plan, be my guest, go it, put up your candidates, run your race, whatever your start, go do it by all means. But I'm just not gonna sit by and watch people trying to tear everybody down who is interested in having any kind of positive impact.
0: I think there's another, just a question to Keaton and Russell. Is that political nihilism?
2: I mean, I think it's political stupidity. I mean, they're, it's hard to know what's in their head. I understand what you mean, but mm-hmm. it, it's, it's hard to know what's in their head. They seem convinced that Marianne Williamson has some kind of chance, which goes back to what I said before. She doesn't. It's just so unthinkably stupid to me. You know, like I don't like I I mean, it's it's hard to even respond to that question, because to me, I can't get past the point of wondering what the hell you're even talking about. You're talking about a candidate who was laughed off the stage last time, who's not even registering in these primary polls, despite Biden's vulnerabilities. So what are you even talking about in practice? The results Yes, to try and answer what you asked me, the result will be more nihilism and more despair because the nihilism and the despair, the hopelessness that people felt after that Bernie 2020 campaign. I mean, that was a tough summer to endure, man. It just really was. We thought we were all dumb enough to think, hey, Bernie's going to win the primary this time. Then we all know how that ended. Six weeks after that, we had to watch George Floyd get choked to death under the knee of a fascist murderer cop mm-hmm. for nine minutes. Yeah. And then we saw people flood into the streets. We saw all this energy out there to try and do something. Meanwhile, that all that is happening against the backdrop of a presidential election that emblem that that is emblematic of the status quo. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. that was a really, really difficult time to endure that is enough to make a lot of people very nihilistic and to the extent that people believe those two and get invested in marianne williamson only to have their hopes dashed again (laughs) with each of these defeats people check out more and more and more now thankfully i doubt anybody i shouldn't say anybody i doubt a considerable number of people are actually going to uh ride off to iowa and new hampshire and south carolina and canvas for marion williamson like thankfully that's i'm optimistic in the sense that i don't think people are going to fall for that in great numbers and the people who do i'm sorry you deserve to have your shoes wet like because that's all you're getting all you're getting out of a trip to new hampshire in january to go door-to-door for marion williamson is wet shoes and so Mm -hmm. i you know I'm, i'm sorry if that wasn't a fully satisfying answer because to me it, it doesn't even get to the point where you think nihilism or not. It's just so dumb. It's just so ridiculous that they are pitching this yeah. as a remotely
1: viable option. I I, think, I think their theory is that I, I don't – I can't believe that they think Marianne Williamson would win. I think that mm-hmm. their theory is that this is like uh, taking the battering ram to the gate. It gets weaker every time you go at it. So we charged it with twice with Bernie and we have to keep hammering at it. And eventually we're going to smash it open. I, I think that's their theory. I, I will give them enough credit to assume they are not dumb enough to really believe that Marianne Williamson would be the nominee. My my prediction, if she actually goes through with this, is that she, she never even makes it to a primary. Because there is no energy to support that.
2: I don't think she's gonna run, man, if I'm being honest with you. This isn't a so much
1: hostility, but, but I don't you're probably I don't think right.
2: she's gonna decide. I think she's gonna realize this ain't gonna happen. Yeah, I yes. mean I think this is all gonna be I think moved you're right. fairly shortly.
0: I think you're right. Well, maybe it's just the radicalness in me, and I've become more radical since being on RVN, but every single time I hear more and more about Electoral politics and how it feels like just a delaying of the inevitable, I feel like I'm turning more into Rome every single day. I'm like, you know what, bump this, let's just go straight for revolution. Because every single time someone is like, well, all we need to do is get these wins. There is more of a capitulation towards fascism each and every single time. Each and every single time we want to uh, project our voices and express our First Amendment rights, it gets cut. Every single time we Mm -hmm. want to uh, even express our Second Amendment rights, that gets cut. Mm -hmm. We get habeas corpus cut. We got more bombings in countries. And so every single point, like, for instance, we and then even when we go, okay, let's start building up unions. Next thing you know, more laws against unions. Boom. Cut. They're going to start you Know doing the same thing that they are doing in the UK that if you workers go on strike, then you're going to be sued for the loss, uh, the lost income that that you know place of business has lost. So now they're going to be going more against unions. So it seems like every single time we try to go the legit route, we get hit off, we are cut off at every single point in turn. I'm getting to the point where it's like, you know what. Excuse me for saying this, but... Don't curse. Fuck electoralism. Oh! I did it. That's all right. We're 45
2: minutes in. They're, no. they're not going to pick that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Fuck electoralism. Because the thing is, is that this is the... It's almost like a, a way to ease people into not doing revolution what we do a revolution Then something bad is going to happen to people and it's like yes something bad is going to happen to people but the question is if we continue the route that we're going is it going to continue to happen to our people or is it going to happen to the oligarchs which group would you rather something bad happen to would you rather something bad happen to innocent people who have nothing to do with this, or to the oligarchs who are actually perpetuating the violence that we see? And by violence, I also mean homelessness, housing, hunger. I'm also talking about the climate emergency. I'm also talking about the bombs. Right now we have a proxy war that's going on in Ukraine against Russia. We have a proxy war going on against Yemen through the Saudi through the Saudi government. So we constantly are doing this. And yet, and now we're about to get into some asymmetrical warfare with China. Really, I'd rather use revolution as a self-defense to preserve the life of people. And so when people like Crystal Ball say, grow up, yes, let's grow up. Let's get away from this certain type of thinking that anything can be done with a country. And And, and, and look, how many of us question the actual legit democracy of this country? We do. We question it every single time. Yeah. Right. So if we're questioning it, that means that we're probably too late and it's already gone.
1: Yep. Uh, um, yes.
0: Am I making sense, or am I just no? Saying no. Crazy I mean,
2: look stuff? what the the example that strikes me as being you know perhaps even most relevant now, especially given the events of the last week or so, is mm-hmm. what's what's went on in terms of the cops these past few years, right? When the George Floyd protests filled the streets, you had not just Democratic politicians do the Kenty cloth stunt, right? But you also had all these corporations, you know, blacking out their page in solidarity (laughs) with Black Lives Matter, right? You had all kinds of statements. I got like every every stupid like (laughs) email list that I like. I don't know subscribed to thinking I was going to get a coupon for a bottle of orange juice at Price Chopper if I saw like every, all these you know email lists that I'm somehow on, yeah, Apple, Nike, they all send out an email blast after that happened about their commitment to racial harmony and you know, Black Lives Matter at this company. They were all for that until there was an actual demand. Once a demand yeah. arose from that movement, defund yeah. the police. If police are going to abuse their power, we have to take some of their power away. The way you take power away in this country is you take money away, right? There's a capitalist system. Yes. Money is power. So if you're going to yes. take power away from a group of people, you're going to have to give them less money. A very simple, very rational, very straightforward, common sense demand. If the Scorpion unit in Memphis cannot be trusted not to pass a man around, and beat on him until he dies, then we have to pull the funding from that unit. That's very simple. There's nothing radical about that, right? But that is an actual demand. Once an actual demand was made, the gatekeepers of the political system said, well, no, no. Yes, Black Lives Matter, but we can't give in to the demands of the Black Lives Matter movement because that's just not practical that is just too threatening Profitable. to the system that benefits us. And yeah. so, yeah, by the time you realize this, of course it's too late. And so, you're right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's all, yeah. It's all I got on that.
1: Um, yeah, our, our, we had we had this very unique window you know, roughly in the post-war period could argue into the 70s where you had about as much democracy as a society has ever had as much democracy and with drastic drastic flaws with groups left out not being able to fully exercise their rights but to say okay well that means it wasn't a democracy well i mean what the romans and the greeks who invented it had what 20 percent of the population that could vote, so it was. I, I think a lot of times when people look at that, they I often think of something that Anthony Burgess said: "Humanity is a bad lot." You know, humanity has taken a very mm. long time to even not be as horrible as it once was. Mm. That was that was a window where things with humanity were moving in the right direction. If what you believe in is is people. Uh, being able to exercise control over their government and control over their society, starting with Reagan, really, and of course there are things going on in the seventies that lead to that. On you know within the left too, the new Democrats that would eventually yield Bill Clinton, like there's stuff going on in the seventies that whose effect is really this democracy thing has gone too far. We need to pull more power back to money and corporations. And they have succeeded. And now we're in this period where this technology took them by surprise at first, the internet and social media, where it was this incredible democratizing platform where anybody could have a platform and a voice. They can't yeah. have they can't have that. They cannot have that. So what you're seeing right now the way they threw the ick on free speech where 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 the people who ironically are the most anti free speech have been traditionally the defenders of free speech the liberals right these these were yeah. the these were the ACLU people and all of a sudden now it's a private company it's a private company they can do what they want all of a sudden they're libertarian when it, when it comes to shutting down people's speech so look if you look at the big historical picture we had this little window where things were unusually democratic, which is not to say democratic, but unusually Mm -hmm. democratic relative to the history of empires on this planet. And now that is coming to an end. And that is for various reasons. I I am convinced Ron DeSantis is going to be your next president. And that is pretty much going to be all she wrote. And Mm. I do believe part of that as well, is on the left, part of this whole new Democrat thing was to shift the definition of what being left was to identity politics as a screen oh. for their lack of an economic policy agenda. And that is a very unattractive agenda. Look, people want to unify. They don't really want to live in a constant state of tension of all against all. So that actually, you you don't undermine fascism by promoting identity politics. You empower it because you make its vision of a unity of purpose attractive by comparison, right? We all are part of something, right? When society stopped believing in that, it doesn't matter what the belief is i'm not saying it's necessarily yeah. always a good belief that the society has but once a society doesn't believe in anything once a society does not have a unifying principle people break down into tribes and that we're doing yeah. that in a very unique way in the decline of the american mm-hmm. empire but that's typical mm-hmm. at the end of empires that everyone kind of splits yeah. off on their own because mm-hmm. they no longer have rome They don't believe in Rome anymore. They've become, they've developed a cynical relationship to their own institutions. Um, Well,
0: I'm sorry, go
1: ahead. I think that's why Trump did better. Nobody can figure out this mystery. Trump did better with non white voters than any Republican since Nixon in 1960. That is my explanation. The left has made itself Mm -hmm. so repulsive by abandoning economics in favor of identity. That they made him look attractive by comparison to a lot of people. Not everybody, but to enough people.
0: Well, I, I just wanted to I- implement this because I, I wear a few identities. You know, I have that hat, uh, so to speak. And one of the things I think, and I tried to convey this to my audience, is that when it comes to the identity politics, the identitarian, uh, ideology that they push it really is the culture war. There's mm-hmm. two culture wars. There's the culture war yeah. on the liberal side and there's culture war on the conservative side. Absolutely. And one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that neither, neither one of those parties or those sides, because I put sides in air quotes, because they're really all on the same side. Neither one of those sides really have, they really do not want to, the economic structure to benefit everyone because right. Right. for those of us who are black right race and class are intrinsically linked mm-hmm. even if you go way back to the Atlantic slave trade we were bought here not because they necessarily hated black people no they saw us and they said "Hmm, free labor right And then the racism came in after that in order to have a separation just so that they can keep that power structure in place. So because our race and class are intrinsically linked, once you start attacking the class structure, once you go after the class war from the proletariat side, from the worker side, then people start to go, especially a lot of, the hillbillies in the South and a lot of white Mm -hmm. people who consider themselves God and country. Guess what? They start to realize, Oh snap, these black people are just like us and our problems are the same and they're being screwed even more than we are because they're trying, because they're using us to vilify them. Or then they go, Oh snap, these people coming across the border. It's not because they're trying to steal our jobs because we, our government, instituted sanctions and destabilized their government. So now they're coming over here because it's chickens coming home to roost because they really don't have a peaceful life because of what our government has been doing. Yep. And then they start to vilify people like me who are mm-hmm. part of the LGBTQ community because they're saying they're coming after your kids. Meanwhile, a lot of the, and, and you know no offense to present company, but a lot of the heterosexual people, particularly men, are typically the ones who perpetuate the grooming, but people don't really want to talk about that. either. And so because of that, then we're constantly pitting against each other so that the economic equality, equity, and justice does not happen. And so because of that, then we're constantly pitting against each other so that the rob can run out the back with all the money. Yep. And so I think <laughs> yep. that's what the th- the problem is. And yep. unfortunately, like and and I don't want to harp on Crystal Ball too much because even though I have major disagreements with her, I don't want to be disrespectful to her. But my thing is is like she's more focused on oh, there's fascism coming, but she's talking about the the, the social fascism. We're talking about the economic fascism that comes along mm-hmm. with the social fascism. And by the way, black people have been experiencing fascism for 400 years. For yep. us, fascism is just a Tuesday. Yep. And now there's a lot of white <laughs> people, unfortunately, that are seeing fascism for the first time, and they're like, oh my God! And we're, and that's when we black people go, now you see what we were talking about.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, right, yeah, I mean... <laughs> You know, I hate to keep mentioning it. I know it's a very upsetting thing, but that video of Tyree Nichols getting passed around—what? That's not fascism. I mean, you know, and that's not the first video of its kind. It's far from the first thousand incidents of its kind, right? Well, well, yeah. But this is—you Let- know—this speaks to a point that we that we raised about an hour ago, which is—you yeah. know—there's this. There's this. There's this problem of the oligarchy, right? But then when you talk about democratic politics and democratic primary politics, which is what Crystal Ball was talking about in her lecture there, Mm -hmm. you're talking about another class of people that are not quite the oligarchs, but Mm -hmm. this is what the professional managerial class is. This is what the PMC is. This is what Russell was talking about. When you go to college, you absorb certain ideas. People go to college... To get credentialed for good jobs that will give them cushy lifestyles, so that if and when the shit hits the fan, they will have enough money in the bank to weather the storm. That's why people go to college, right? Well, but true. That's not, that, that doesn't <laughs> yeah. sound very good, right? That doesn't sound <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't sound all that deep. That sounds kind of shallow and mean spirited. And so, what do you learn at college? What do you actually learn there? You learn how to benefit from the system but you learn how to talk like you feel really bad about it right you learn yeah. how to talk oh, oh, like a whoa, oh. you learn how to talk wow. like, oh it's a shame that i'm here and you're there i wish there was something i can do about it but uh but i know i understand i feel mm-hmm, where you're coming from because mm-hmm, i went to mm-hmm. college and i learned about mm-hmm. the transatlantic slave trade and i learned about the civil rights movement so uh, i know no. i know and i wish there was something mm-hmm. i could do but again, the barriers are here and here, and we can't move them. So the Republicans, we're sorry. right?
1: Yeah, it's the Republicans. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it, yeah, that it's 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 very much like the function that the devil plays in Christian theology. If you didn't have it, you'd have oh. to invent it because <gasps> how else do you justify the the dying babies? Right? Like you need a devil. You need a, you need original sin. You, so they need the Republicans. They have to have the Republicans. Without the Republicans, how can they justify their clear uselessness as a political endeavor? There is no rationale for a Wall Street friendly left party. There is no reason for a party like that to exist There is absolutely no way they can serve the masters of labor and Wall Street at the same time. Their interests are inherently in conflict. I I follow economic news. Unlike a lot of people on the left, I see what the traders, what the degenerate gamblers that make up our, our, our financial services industry talk about, you know what they hope for. You know what they hope for every time the next financial report comes out. They hope people are out of work because if people are out of work, that means the Fed might stop tightening rates. And if the Fed stops tightening rates, party on, the party's back on on Wall Street, right? Maybe they'll even cut rates. They are hoping, this is your Wall Street. They are hoping that you are unemployed. How can a party that is friendly with Wall Street, whose interests are that the labor market is such that they can decrease wages, they can treat their workers any way they want, how can they be a pro-labor party? There is no reason for the Democratic Party to exist. Now, the Republicans, say what you want about them. If you like what the GOP is about, they are a pure heroin fix of that kind of politics. You are being very well served by the Republican Party if that's where you're coming from. If yeah. you are actually on the left, if you actually care about these issues, it's not just a big virtue signal for you. The Democratic mm. Party has absolutely no reason to exist. And there is no oh. reason for you to support it.
0: You know what? Can y'all come back on again soon? Because I'm just this this, this works. works this works. <laughs> in fact, Jake uh going to
2: be in India in February. I need co-hosts to fill in. So if you want to co-host the show with me, that would be great. Oh, I'll sure. I stuff. there are there's at least two that I know. Um mm-hmm. but uh there might be more depending on what yeah. part of the desert this this lunatic is camping out in. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I, I can be a guest once in a while. It's just I have dialysis Monday, Wednesday, Friday, so I can only do so much. Uh, but not do and Sunday. Sundays. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I try because uh, I'm also doing, uh, you know, uh, guest spots some from time to time on Indie Left News too. So oh, yeah, I, I try yeah. to. Yeah, we'll work you know, it out.
2: We'll, we'll yeah. Yeah,
0: but but yeah, uh, but you know what? That was a point. Uh, and one of the people who watches my program constantly, his name is Roger Meadows. I'm not sure uh, you know of him, but um, he's he talks a lot about public banks, ballot initiatives, and and g- taking away both parties, which Russell you just talked about so eloquently, and I mwah, love it, chef's kiss. Thank you. But that's the that's the thing that a lot of us are really we are at our wit's end right now. And it, we're constantly being used and exploited by our own political system. And um, I'm going to give you guys an example. Why is somebody calling me while I'm in the middle of the stream? Um, I'm busy, damn it. Um, so hang on just one second, let me show you guys this. I'm not sure if you guys saw this article, but this is just recent. This is from The Hill. It says, Tyree Nichols' parents accept invitation to attend State of the Union.
1: I saw that too. Oh, yeah. They're going to milk that.
0: So this is what I like to call using Mm -hmm. our pain, our plight for political points to keep the masses uh, pacified so that we do not revolt against a tyrannical government and so this is what i see constantly yes and while i know that it happens you know in the you know in the white you know P, the white community it happens especially in the black community because we're constantly being told yes you're disenfranchised yes you're vilified and yes mm-hmm. your lives matter too and then mm-hmm. we go, mm-hmm. can we take some of that money from the police and put it into our housing education and health care? Oh, but I'm sorry. No, I wish I could, but unfortunately, we need the police in order to keep you safe. See? Well, and I'm glad we go. you said
2: it because I would have had to risk I would have had to take a risk and say that myself if you didn't. So I'm glad you did. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. but 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 this is why, and I'm not just, you know, blowing smoke up your ass here, but this is why channels like yours and channels like rbn are so important because because you have a credibility on this that russell and i don't and can't right and and so it 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 has to come from those places and um yeah i mean so that that's that's a point that um uh, that's a point that that's that's really important to 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 make as often and as as loudly as as you can
1: well and especially because the people of color that they platform are people of color who are in line with their agenda, and they will use that to claim that clearly we are on the side of people of color because they support us. Look, look at all of these people. Look at Kamala. Look at Barack. Look at Tanahesi Coates. Look at all of these people we have supporting us from that community. Look but at James Clyburn,
2: who just good. brought look everybody at James with Cliver.
1: him. Everybody with him. Yeah. If you so clearly, if you don't support us, you are ignoring the voices of Black people. I actually, I have a friend from the Black community who is very upper middle, who took exception to a show that we did about the Fred Hampton documentary that was on Netflix, uh, not hmm. fictionalized movie. What was it called? Judas it was a movie. Is uh, uh, Judas and Judas the black and the Messiah. Black Messiah. Took exception to our segment on it. And I went back and watched it after she said that, like, did we say anything out of line? No, we reflected Fred Hampton's views. And those views were, are anathema to the establishment. The idea yep. of bringing poor whites on board and getting together. if you there, There's a great book, White Trash, that is about Ooh. the history of poor whites in America. And- okay. The modern Democratic Party, going back to the indentured servants, the mm-hmm. modern Democratic Party are the inheritors of that white aristocracy that always mm-hmm. held poor whites in disdain and always mm-hmm. made sure that blacks and whites did not get together along class lines. Now, mm-hmm. the way that they used to do it was by stirring up the hatred in whites against black people and promising them some kind of an elevation you can't mm. do it that way anymore so now yeah. they're doing it now they're doing it from the other side now mm. it's the focus is on hating the poor whites in the trailer oh they, these these people they're all racists they're all monsters they're, they're all deplorables and you can use that to drum up support for anything. We saw that during uh, Schmovid, right? Where they threw all this... Those are the people. Those are the Mm -hmm. only people who think this way. And they're white. They're white and they're poor and they're guns and they're God, right? They're playing the same old game they've been playing in this country for centuries. They're just doing it with a new face.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. Um, I said this
1: and some people especially
0: liberals especially a lot of black liberals would probably have you know something to say about this i even have families that are black liberals but i said black people in both parties are just diversity hires made to make you accept anti-black policies while they rhetorically say they support us it's all optics
1: that's it that's it
0: and basically if you are black and if you're in a republican party you're a diversity hire if you're black and you're in the democratic party you're a diversity hire if you're gay or trans or disabled in either party you are a diversity hire and because you are they really don't give a crap about you about your liberation and when i talk about liberation i talk a lot about black liberation queer liberation But there's also liberation that is needed for poor whites because they are constantly under the thumb. They have the boot. The boot is constantly on their necks as well. And I did a TikTok uh, yesterday, I think it was. It got like over 7,000 views already, which I'm completely surprised about. But uh, a young lady was saying, what is the end game for capitalism? And I said, slavery. Slavery is the fulfillment and end game of capitalism. The one thing that people don't want to hear, though, is that, number one, people who look like me, they're trying to put us back into slavery, back into chattel slavery. But another piece that people aren't realizing is that they want people who look like you, Russell, and you, like Heaton, also into chattel slavery. They're not just satisfied with Black people being put into chattel slavery. So now there's over 60-plus percent of people out there that also can be subservient to the oligarchs. So they want you all to also be chattel slaves as well. And so that's the fulfillment of capitalism because we're the canaries in the coal mine. After they put us back, guess what? Guess who they're coming after? They're coming after all of you. You're
1: right.
2: Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I think they're coming at us all at once. In some ways, not obviously, well, but in some ways, they are. Right? I mean, look, this is the inevitable. Res- I mean, you know, Russell and I recorded one of our like Patreon only segments earlier where we sort of raised this point, where it's like, um, in 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 an economy where you make everything for sale, if everything is for sale, that means inevitably, and Marx talked about this himself political power will become for sale. And once political power is for sale, what you will inevitably have is a partnering of corporations and the state itself. And once that train gets cooking at a certain speed, you're right. The only thing that will stop it is an actual revolution. That's the only thing capable of stopping it. Sorry to bust the bubbles of Jordan Sheridan, Crystal Ball, and the counter-revolutionary white-left PMC network. But Marianne <laughs> Williamson is not going to stop that train. Um, and that's the situation that you're in. And it's a situation that we have put ourselves in over the past several decades to the point where, and, you know, Jay, been, you made this point a while back. By the time you realize it, it is too late. It is too late. It's certainly too late to be solved through any sort of, you know, nice guy electoral solution, right? I mean, it's just, this thing has has accrued too much momentum already. It's moving too fast. It's destroying everything in its path. That is, of course, inevitable. It's inevitable. Whether it's by design or not, you know, did Adam Smith have this in mind? Probably not. But... Guys like that, thinkers like that, thinkers like that who exist today lack the foresight to understand the very, very simple calculus that if everything is for sale, it means anyone who can afford to buy it can afford to buy more of it and more of Mm -hmm. it and more of it. And they start accruing it exponentially to the point where before you know it, it's very easy for them to virtually speaking, practically speaking, or perhaps even further down the road, literally speaking, enslave yeah. most of the population. It's not right. as hard as it
1: sounds. Right. It's yeah. math. It's simple math.
0: Yeah, basically. Well, the, well,
1: that's, where, uh, that, well and that's why I touched on the technology. Yeah. when When, when Orwell was writing and when Huxley was writing, the things that they were, they were those are usually kind of considered these, you know, kind of balancing visions of what kind of dystopia we, we would be most likely to create. And when they when they wrote those visions, they the technology to realize that world wasn't there. It is now. It is now. We do have the technology for Big Brother to watch you. And we also have the technology to endlessly amuse people into a constant state of ignorance. I would say what we ended up with and what we're ending up with is some of column A and some of column B that in the, in the security state in the surveillance state, you have the, the Orwell element in the way that we have to be very careful. What we say on YouTube, you have the Orwell element and in the way the whole society is oriented around, Oh, Season three of The Witcher is coming out. Oh my God, I got to watch that. Everyone's got their streaming services and they're just constantly oriented around pleasure and distraction. That is much more that Huxley vision. And in the end, you're going to wind up with a kind of fascism that most people don't notice they're living in. Just as that's something that always strikes me in dystopian films, that... The people living in dystopia don't know they're living in dystopia. You know, most people don't have that kind of detachment, the ability to have that kind of detachment from the society that they're living in. For example, living in Harlem during the Bloomberg years. Um I would walk outside and I would see I would see black men up against the wall who I knew in the neighborhood, being frisked wow. for no reason, supers, guys working in the buildings for no, no, no good reason at all. And it reminded me of years ago, Oliver Stone did a mini series of a kind of dystopian future LA called Wild Palms. And one of the things that always stayed with me about it that I thought was very smart was people would just be doing their LA thing and you would just see people getting thrown into tinted window SUVs in the background. And people just didn't really pay attention to it. They were just kind of accustomed to that because that's the world that they live in. That's what that is. That's dystopian. That police going around and randomly grabbing people. But people will get used to just about anything. If you look yeah. at the history of revolutions, and, and this is something to temper expectations. I don't want to black pill people. I don't want to be nihilistic. But if you look at where there have been revolutions, look how desperate people's circumstances were before they were willing to go and have a revolution. That's how bad things have to be. A friend of mine once said, there's never been a revolution in a country with air conditioning. Now, that's not strictly speaking true, but his point is well taken. The The more you are able to give people cheap consumer goods, and this is part of why, We maintain all of these military bases. You know, people are always saying, why do we do this? It's not a mystery. Yes, it's partly enriching the defense contractors, but it is also controlling the resources and economy of the world in order to keep our own population pacified with the things that we're stealing from everybody else, including their cheap labor, so that you can get your cheap amusements here. Because once those things go away, then you might have a revolution. Great analysis. Thank you so
0: very much. You know, I didn't even get, you know, I had not read, I only read one of my questions for this entire stream. <laughs> <laughs> I had like four or five questions and I didn't even get to any of them. That's how good this conversation is. Um, gosh, I can't wait to have you guys back on because I we'll think. We'll come back that anytime. Just let us know. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Because, because I, I think that these, these, Uh, conversations are important Um, and if you guys have not then please make sure to also subscribe to do dissidents if you have not they are a wonderful channel great political analysis uh, especially uh, on the different news that we have coming out Um, you heard some of their political analysis here And it really is just a look at working class and how we can enrich the working class so that we can be able to fight for more than what, for what we deserve, right? You know, and I'm at a point where, you know, I, you know, I, I, of course, I'm not, I, I still do vote. But if I'm going to vote, it's going to be either the independent or third party. But my focus is more on either local or just do organizing activism outside of electoralism, it's like one of the two, you know, and I feel like, you know, if you feel disaffected from it, no need to go in back into it, just either do some organizing or just help people who are organizing. I don't care if you help them financially. I don't care if you help them with your time. You know, I don't care if you help them with their energy. But, you know, if you know some people that are doing things like mutual aid, or if you know some people that are doing some activism on the ground, like, for instance, there's going to be a, um, a anti-war rally happening in on February 19th, I think it is. Yep, 19th. So, yeah. So, I mean, if you guys want to get out there and join them in solidarity, things like that, then do that, you know, be, but whatever it is to make sure you do something for the people, not for politicians, but for the people. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. And if I could just make one quick point here, because I know you you brought up that image of, I guess, the robot dogs or something, you know, uh, you're gonna <laughs> yeah. play a video or something, but it, it doesn't that, even have now, to that be that, that conceptual.
1: Mirror? Is that black mirror? that image no that's
0: that's that was actually real
1: okay well look
0: (laughs) that i mean
2: yes that that is real but when we when we talk about just sort of runaway capitalism inevitably creating you know this just you know servant class that could eventually yes become a slave class I drove for Uber since 2017. I still, I don't drive passengers anymore. Now I do food. I do DoorDash, Grubhub, and stuff, which are actually far better than Uber. But anyway, I won't bore the audience with that. When you drive Uber, Uber wants every driver to accept every ride. That's how they make money. They want you to accept every ride. Mm Mm-hmm. The key to making any money at all with Uber, and you can do fairly well if you know how to do it, but you have to know how to do it. You have to reject most ride requests because if you accept a ride request from a passenger who's 15 minutes away, you don't get paid for the 15 minutes you spend driving to pick them up. You only get paid when they're in the car. So if Uber had its way with you, you would lose money driving for Uber, if you did it the way they wanted, which is every time you get that ping, you say, sure, I'll take this ride. You will absolutely kill your car and lose money. You will spend more on car bills and gas than you will. So this is already a situation where you don't need the robot dogs. The person is the robot dog, unless they know enough not to take every ride. Like if you don't learn the tricks of the trade, if you don't learn how to beat the system, how to beat the app, that app will use you the way whatever company that is, is using those robots They chew you up. They spit you out. You will lose money doing it unless you learn how to, and they will never teach you how to, you have to learn that on your own. It's not in their interest to teach you how to, they want every driver to take every ride because that's how things move as quickly and seamlessly as they can. So they'll do this thing where they'll give every driver an acceptance rate and they'll send you these bullshit texts and emails, keep your acceptance rate high. If your acceptance rate is high, Not only are you not making any money, you're losing money for them. You are depleting your net worth by driving Uber full time if you do it the way they want you to. That is an Mm -hmm. example. That is an example because somebody wrote in the chat, this was a way back, uh, gig slavery or something like that was the comment. And that's what triggered me to say that because, yes, these gig economies will use you as if you are a, a machine if you let them. And more and more people are turning to gig work. I do gig work. Myself, now, my current acceptance rating on DoorDash is like 20%. Most of the orders that come in are not worth doing. You have to know how to turn them down. Anyway, I'm not going to get soapboxy about that, but that's just an example of how, yes, capitalism and especially tech capitalism, the people who run Uber have created a transportation empire. They have never bought a gallon of gas. The drivers buy the wow. gas, you know? I mean, wow. if that is not, I mean, They are using people as if they are machines. Yeah.
1: Russell. Whenever you work inside a corporation, which I have very rarely done for that reason, it's creepy. It's creepy because you can tell that they got a bunch of industrial psychologists together to figure out how to get the maximum amount of labor out of you with the minimum amount of pay and how to minimize turnover as much as possible. So whenever you're working for a corporation, they will do a lot of communication involving how you're part of a team and you know, it's a family and how there's opportunity in the company and and you know, when you're working for humans, which is what I've usually done, you know, it's it's you don't get those emails. They'll go, "Hey Russ, Well, you're part of a team here and we really value you. Can you do this gig on Friday? I don't, I don't, I have one company I work for. I'm a tour guy. I have one company I work for that the guy comes out of wall street and started a tour company. And they're like that. They're like that. Mm -hmm. As soon as it goes corporate, (laughs) they're the only ones where I'm not an independent contractor. I'm an employee. I I mean, but there's still, there's some advantage to that. For them, because they they assign you work the same way that an independent contracting company would. For whatever reason, there must be a tax advantage. They're defining you as an employee, and you get that. The corporate structures are sociopathic and inherently inhumane. Uh, that yeah. that's that's what's creepy about being inside of them, because you can tell that this company is designed to extract your life
3: as profitably
1: as possible yeah it's interesting you mentioned
0: the behavioral scientist uh i just finished reading uh on my channel dirty truths by michael parenti if you guys would like you guys can go into you know the playlist tab and go under that but uh under this part is called political science fiction this part right here It talks about how behavioral scientists Mm -hmm. are really tools used by capitalists to keep people in line so that they continuously consume over and over and over. And I'm telling you, you know, Parenti breaks it down, but that is really part of it. And a lot of times people talk about, oh, well, we have to obey the science, but is the science capitulating to capital is the science capitulating to the whims of the people who are in power instead of just to the service of people that's a question a lot of people don't want to ask and then you start to get into healthcare mental health care are we being are we actually being made to cope with a system that is bad for us so they're saying oh you need these type of medications just so you can cope with the system versus this is just naturally what's wrong with you and so then it's like wait a minute what's going on here and even uh i was listening to a uh lecture by dr gabon mate where he was talking about how capitalism's actually terrible for your mental health and oh it's yeah, just yeah. Like, i've
2: seen a few interviews well, with him on that yep Great.
0: Oh, man! So, it just goes to show where these corporations are basically there to turn you into a machine. It's really to... I- I'm going to make up a word, android you into, or mechanize you into something that doesn't need food, sleep, shelter. Um, you don't need any type of You know, your hopes and dreams and fulfillment. You don't need any of that. All you need to do is work for us and produce for us, and you're good. So that's basically what it feels like.
1: Well, and they understand that humans feel a need for connection. That's why they throw out that kind of language. You're part of a team. You're part of a family. We welcome you here. (laughs) And also, if you have a society whose economy is dependent on consumerism, well, what do you want? You you want a society of infants? You want to infantilize people because who well, who lacks control of their impulses? Children. Yeah. You don't want people to really mature and become self aware, um, uh, strong, confident adults. You want them to be like children who who looks at something on TV and goes, "I gotta have that. I gotta have it." A twelve year old. They want you to perpetually think like a twelve year old.
0: Yeah. True. So, I mean, look, I don't want to take too much of your time because I want to be respectful and I, you know, want to be a man of my word. I said between 60 and 90 minutes, we're at the 90 minute mark. (laughs) And so, this was an amazing conversation. I cannot wait to have you both back on. I mean, it's like Batman and Robin, Shaggy and Scooby, peanut butter and jelly. (laughs) It's like cake and ice cream. Not
1: the maybe cake first. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know, it's like chocolate and peanut butter. I'm like, look, we got a like crystal ball and
2: more. Kyle Kalinsky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's
2: sorry. like crystal
0: ball and Miriam Williams. Yeah. <laughs> um, Maybe so. I, I don't know. The,
2: sure, I, I guess I blew it at the last second.
0: No, no, it's all, all right. good. You're good. I'm, I'm
2: joking.
0: Yeah. It, but, uh, you know, where can you where can they find you guys? Uh, I actually have some. So, uh, uh, something to show everybody but where can they find you guys so that they can subscribe and follow you
2: well if you go uh while you're here on youtube everybody if you can just type in do dissidents you can find our channel right there and please give a sub if you can we are also on substack as jay you just put up there do dissidents.substack.com um, and so those are the best places to find us. We are also an audio show on every major podcast player. So if you like to listen in the car and stuff, you can do that also, but yeah, do and just the YouTube channel. If you type us into the search bar, we will come up. Our name is unique enough where they're not going to be 10 that match that search. So yeah, if you could find us there, that would be awesome. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much, Jay. This was, this was a great talk. We We would love to come back and I'd love to have you, on our show also
0: thank you so very much any any final words for you russell
1: um uh, thanks a lot for having us on it was a lot of fun and uh i look forward to uh checking you out as the co-host when i'm in india yeah <laughs> and, and,
0: and real talk it was it's been a privilege to have you both on thank you so very much my channel is little but it's growing I'm hopefully I'm I'm going to try to get to 3000 subs by May and so hopefully that'll happen but hey, I you're doing great that. man
1: you're, right. you're doing yeah, great yeah, uh, you, you know. have a really engaged chat here it looks like you have a good Yeah group. no it looks like it looks
2: like you're doing great I mean you know we we're, we're, we're a couple thousand out in front of you but that doesn't take long man you start you start putting out stuff on a consistent basis you have a great chat here people who seems like they come back every time that's what you need once you get that's that it. it doesn't take yeah. that long you know, it's not like, you know, the, those next 2000 don't take as long as the first 2000. We know that from having done it, you know, just, you those first 1500 your subs in the bank is torture takes forever. Yeah. But then yeah. once you get a, you know, community of people here, which you obviously have, it, it grows quicker than you'd think. So, yeah, keep
0: at it. Thank you so very much. Also, to everybody who's in the chat, as well as watching on the rewatch, the links for due dissonance, as well as their sub stack, their Twitter page. And their YouTube page is also in the description as well. Thank you, so much, Russell and Keaton. Thank you for having. Thank you for being here.
2: Thank you, thank sir. you sir. Much yeah. appreciated. Uh, all, right, all right. Goodbye. <laughs> bye bye.
0: All right. So uh, that was an awesome conversation. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to do before I continue is that I wanted to get to the chat and uh, have a conversation with you guys. I always t- try, try to have a conversation with people in the chat as well because that is also very important because this isn't a very interactive program. Um, one of the things that I wanted to do was, uh, you know, we have some super chats to get to as well. First off, we have Chris Bishop. Thank you so much for the super chat, says, three of my favorite YouTubers on one screen. Dope. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, and it's so nice to have you. And thank you also for the next super chat, says, it is easy to tell people to be happy with the system when you're wealthy in the system. Yeah, you know, for... (laughs) I hate to put it like this. But... Flies are comfortable with Dookie. I have to purse my words carefully. I want to say the S word, but I'm not gonna say it. But flies are comfortable with it. They love it, right? So once they get in, then they plant their eggs in, and then you know, those maggots come in, they having a party, right? But for many of us, it stinks, it ruins our health. We don't want to be in it. And it's like what Jennifer Lewis said. When you sat in too long, you stop smelling it. You don't smell it anymore because you've been sitting in it for too long. She said, now come up, come up out of there, clean yourself off. The thing is that we have been sitting in it for too long and some people have stopped smelling it even though it's damaging to them. Some people like myself, Russell and Keaton, those of us at RBN A lot of people are at the Indie News Network, people at MCSC, a lot of us, you know, people like Ron Pacone, Jimmy Dore, a lot of us are going, yeah, it stinks. We got to get out of here. And yet you got some people going, I don't smell anything. And you got others who are flies going, no, don't take it away. It's good for us. And so that's the problem. And so while we're suffering, they're having the time of their life. And so it's conducive for them. It works for them. But what about us? To the privileged, equality feels like oppression. Thank you so much for the super chat. CEB Applejack, who is also a JB member, good to see you, says, You don't find that disingenuous that, I'm sorry. You don't find that disingenuous that she tries to appeal to the poor and act like she cares. Her whole bit is trying to be for the disenfranchised. My thing is that if you're going to be for the disenfranchised, then be for the disenfranchised. Show in your actions. And not that, oh, I give to charity. Charity is just a rich person's way or or a privileged person's way of washing their hands of of, you know, the exploitation in the system and saying, I did my part so now I can walk away. No, no. It it, it, You know, charity legitimizes a system saying, well, at least we're doing some good for people. And it's like, no, 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 no. The system is what caused the people to be in there in the first place. So therefore, the system must be broken down. But if you break down that system, then they are no longer privileged. And it takes the privilege and it widens the net of privilegedness. Privilegedness. It widens that umbrella of being privileged to everyone. And so then everyone can actually be privileged with housing, health care, food. They don't have to worry about cops. You know when it comes to when they're driving down the street they don't have to worry about an, an imperialist government coming to them and bombing them and extracting them of their resources right and so because of that by that very notion some people don't want privilege to be spread out as far and wide as the eye can see some say they want it but when it comes to actually changing the system on a fundamental level Some will give rhetorical or flowery words, but they just don't want to do it. They don't wanna go as far as some of us feel there's necessary to, because if we take it too far, well, they lose that privilege. And they don't necessarily lose it, but now they have to share and they don't like sharing or they don't want to share as much. That's like having a huge pizza, and instead of cutting it up into eight slices and dividing it evenly among eight people, they want to keep four pieces for themselves, or no, they want to keep six pieces for themselves and let the other six or seven people divide those last two slices up themselves. They're like, okay, instead of me keeping six slices, I'll downgrade myself to five slices so you guys can share three slices among the seven of you. And it's like, okay, you gave it that one extra slice, but that was basically charity. Or instead of doing that, we just go, well, how about each one person get a slice? Out of eight slices, eight people each get a slice. But then, To the privilege, equality feels like oppression because you just took away seven slices or no, that person has five slices left. Now you take away four slices from them and evenly distribute it among all the people who don't have slices so that everybody has a nice full slice, so that everybody is fed, so that everybody is sustained. And so that's how it works. But the problem is you got so many people who want to take the whole pie for themselves. And that's what capitalism is. Capitalism is basically, I want the entire pie for myself, but the only way I can keep it so that you don't destroy me is I have to take slivers of pie and hand it to you to make you feel like you're actually getting something. That's the way it works. And we're getting to the point now where we're saying, you know what, give me that pie. I'm going to slice it up evenly for everybody now so that you won't dictate that you get all the pie. And that's what they don't want, baby. Good to see Lucy in the chat. You handed it to AOC. Oh, baby. Good to see you, Lucy. In the chat, says, just found these guys. Love them. Yup. Go ahead. Subscribe to those dissidents. They are doing the damn thing. Cool Blue is in the chat saying, those elites. Crystal and her ilk are the democratic party. I I don't want to be mean and say that they know, but I don't want to, I kind of want to give people the benefit of a doubt, but I also think that it's like, you hear what we're saying, you're just not listening. I don't think you're listening. But is it, is it, are you not listening purposefully or is it just ignorance or is it just a disconnect? I don't know. But my thing is, like, if you're going to tell us to be serious, if you're going to tell us to grow up, I would recommend you do the same and start talking to people like us at RBN, do dissidents people at the Indian News Network, people like the people at MCSC. There's a lot of us, there's there's quite a lot of us. Talk to people at like Black Agenda Report, people like Danny Haifong, people like Aaron Maté, Max Blumenthal. Talk to them, talk to a lot of us because the thing is, is that a lot of us are working class or poor, And the problem is, is your theory of change is not helping us. And we're the ones that are actually suffering. By the way, while I'm saying this, the people who are suffering the most need to be the ones calling the shots the most. I said what I said. The people who suffer the most, the most disenfranchised, the most vilified, need to be the ones that are literally leading these movements leading these charges if you're privileged you need to be supportive that's the way it needs to be reality revolution homie is also a jb member says is it me or is jordan devolving i don't know i can't presume what he is evolving or devolving you know, whatsoever. I just think that um, the sense of urgency definitely needs to be improved because you can go out and talk to poor people, you know, but the thing is, is that you have to come to terms with a lot of us are seeing that there is no There is no solution through the people who say that they're for us, but they don't do anything. And I'm also including progressives because they'll say, oh, we're pushing for this or we'll fight for this. But then when it comes to their actions, it just doesn't happen. How many times do you have to be slapped in the face to realize that the person who slapped you is not sorry? You know? Cat Terrell, thank you so very much for the super chat. Says good guest, JB. Thank you so much, Cat Terrell. Appreciate it so much. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Chris Bishop, thank you so much. Says the revolution will not be televised, it will be on (laughs) YouTube. Then deep (laughs) demonetized and strikes given to anyone who supports it. You said it. Stuart Edwards says, if you wait until the time to build a revolutionary infrastructure, then you wait it too late. That's actually very true. The thing is, time is now. To be honest with you, we can't wait. And to the people who honestly are still also for some type of electoralism, also build revolutionary apparatuses at the same time. If you feel like, okay, I'm still for electoralism, all right, then also do dual... Do, do both jobs, do both things. Then, if you want to do that, okay. But you know what? You need to get that just in case break glass type of deal going. All right. Just in case we need to break that glass, all right. Start building up that as well. If you're going to continuously go towards the electoral system, all right, fine. But start building some more revolutionary systems just in case. But I'm going to tell you, just in case, it's not an if, it's a matter of when. That's basically what it is. Bryce Smith says, I'd argue both, JB. Women can be just as awful. Look at Pelosi. And I I don't know if I I didn't make that clear that um, it can be both. And and my apologies if I didn't. But I do recognize that women are also a disenfranchised group in this country. And then they also use some women in order to perpetuate this diversity higher within. The structures of both parties, and they use them to also be exploitative. Um, just like they will hire, you know, women to operate these drones that bomb brown peoples and brown people in other countries, and say, "Look, we have women." They'll do the same thing with gays. They'll do the same with trans people. They'll do the same thing with many people of different identities in order for them to say, "Look." We're good, we have different identities oppressing people, and that's the problem is the oppression. It's not the diversity, it's the oppression. And then you're using different identities in order to oppress. So it's nefarious. But I I apologize if I didn't make that clear. Um, but thank you for pointing that out, Bryce. I appreciate your 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 view as well. Bill Bradley says the idea that you will own nothing and be happy. It's techno feudalism. It is tenant farming. It is indentured servitude, absolutely. I think they were talking about, they're trying to talk about you know crap like this at Davo, in Davos. And it's like, yeah, no. The thing is, is that the right to humans is to actually own their own and have self-determination. And the thing is that they wanna save that self-determination away because they feel in their minds that they know what's better for us than we do. And that's the elitism that really both parties subscribe to, but they just make it seem like that they don't, that they're diametrically opposed when really they both all work for the same boss. Thanks, Bill Bradley. Cobra Commander says, remember when all the scientists tried to find out what is exactly a white race and it turned out there is no white race? Race is a colonial construct. That's what it is, it's the colonial construct. Absolutely, thank you Cobra Commander. CBC Applejack, thank you for this next super chat, says shameless plug where we are helping the poor with a $20,000 goal in Canton, Ohio on February 20th and a fight for hunger polar bear jump in Akron February 25th, come join us. CBC Applejack is doing the damn thing, helping people. I'm so proud of you. Keep doing that work. Keep it going. If you guys would like to, please follow CBC Applejack. They're doing the damn thing. Keep up the great work. And, you know, you guys are also inspiring me. Thank you so very much. I'm checking right now for any more Super Chats. Delthea! Good to see you. Hey! Deltia says, once a person is good, they are automatically accepted. Once a person is labeled evil, they will automatically reject it. No questions need to be asked. That's why rulers play the good, evil game. Bars, Miss Delphia. Bars. Thank you so very much. That is very true, by the way. You know, a lot of times what they will do is the people who are actually doing good things around the world, they may have done some things wrong once in a while because not everybody has a clean background. Everybody has demons in their closet, everybody has skeletons. But they'll label certain people who have done good things largely within their country and go, this person's a dictator, right? Like, for instance, they'll go and look at Gaddafi and say, oh, this person was a dictator. He should have been murdered. When in reality, if you actually look at what a lot of the things that he did for his people in Libya, he actually upgraded their lives collectively. And so you look at somebody like that, it's like, is he really a dictator? Or look at the government in DPRK. You know, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll look at people in DPRK and they'll say, oh, well, these people, they're evil. And it's like, well, how are they evil? And give me an objective analysis based on their actual policies and tell me why they're evil, but they can't do that. They'll do the same thing about Cuba. They'll talk about the Castro regime when Castro government was really uh, democratically ran government. And in fact, they ratified their constitution back in 2019 and they did the family codes just in 2022, which also gave more rights to people who are queer like me in order to adopt and also to define what our family is by our own terms, instead of this nuclear family that they tried to push on us in this heteronormative, largely Christian type of apparatus that they have here in the United States, this societal culture. And so, And also, grandparents also have a means to also adopt their children more freely and openly. So, in fact, not only economically is a country like Cuba more egalitarian for its people, but even socially, they are more advanced than we are. So, really, is Cuba or Venezuela or DPRK or China are they really that bad? Because here's the thing, the people who are the bad people will always label the good people as the bad ones. Remember the Empire in Star Wars? That's all I got to say. (laughs) Oh, man. Thank you so much for that. Um... Just making sure I didn't miss any super chats. And if I miss any super chats, I, I dearly apologize because I really don't want to miss anything from you guys. Oh. Yeah. Uh CBC Applejack says, much love from the Furiously authentic team. Thank you so much, CBC Applejack. Appreciate it so very much as well. Uh just looking for, you know, because I don't want to miss. And, and I saw Sabi in here earlier. It's so good to see my comrade in here. Uh, just checking, because I don't want to miss anybody. Okay, all right. So, by the way, oh, see that down, thank you. Let me just check on Rockfin, see if there's anybody who also, let me refresh. And I'll get back to that in a second. But for next week, I will be having on journalist Wyatt Reed who will be coming on here and will be having a great conversation with him next Tuesday. As always, on Tuesdays at 2 Eastern Standard Time here on the JB Font channel, I'll be talking to Wyatt Reed. So that's going to be a wonderful conversation. Are we talking about the a proxy war in Ukraine and his coverage of that—that's going to be very interesting. Um, I'm also going to be. Oh, uh, hang on, I, I have to look at my. I have to look at my calendar. I'm trying to be more organized, y'all. Look, um, this is tough for me. uh great. I'm, I'm just trying to be more organized. I'm a very disorganized individual, but yes, Wyatt Reed, and then uh, Saturday the 11th, Noah Krejcivic is going to be on noah is from midwestern marks i'll be having him on saturday february 11th so i'll be having him on as well i cannot wait and i also have some stories to cover i may jump back on here on thursday in order to cover this story because this is a story that came across that i need to cover because I, i don't see a lot of people talking about it in yeah, it's, it's more of a local story, but it's also very telling, uh, you know, so I got to get on, get get in on that. But I see you, Miss Aaliyah. good to see you, my, my sister from France, good to see ya. Thank you so very much for the flowers and love. Um, Let me check here. Yeah, I don't think there's... I don't think there's too many people watching on Raffin yet, but that's okay. We will, we shall press on. So uh, make sure also to give due dissidents a follow. Did you subscribe? Did you? Go ahead. Thank you. Appreciate it. Also, did you like to stream? Remember, the likes pushed me out there because guess what? The algorithm doesn't like people like me. And so I will be also, I finished Dirty Choose by Michael Parenti. So if you guys want to get my readings on those, then you guys can go into my channel. And then I'll be continuing the reading of Asada Shakur's Autobiography. Yes, I do readings on my channel. If you guys are new to watch this, I do these readings on a weekly basis. I'm going to be trying to, trying to get into Marx and Lenin angles because I want to get into those as well. Sula, hopefully we can meet soon. So I do that. And Yes, thank you so much to everybody. I have to get going because RBN Live is going to be starting in a little bit. And I'm running late. I got to go. So thank you so much to Dissidents again for coming in. You guys are real ones. Also, if you guys have not, subscribed to my Substack. Go to jbfont.substack.com so you guys can get these email alerts for whenever I go live. (laughs) okay also uh yeah so if you guys would like to get into that thank you for all thank you for all the super chats thank you for all to all the members also thank you to all the people who are patrons on patreon and on coffee without you guys i would not be able to do this thank you thank you thank you look Continue to leave the world better than you found it. Water your plants. Water yourselves. Water is wet. <laughs> Stay moist. <laughs> I'm so stupid. Reading is fundamental. And make sure to do your due diligence and check out Due Dissidence. And, oh, oh, yeah. Mwah! Forehead kisses to every single one of you because I love you all. You guys are all so precious to me. Love you. Bye-bye.